Hello, this is David. Hey, this is Shiloh. And you are listening to History by the Century. All right, thank you, Shiloh, and welcome to our five-star rated podcast. Wow. That's right, Shiloh. Did you know we have two five-star reviews? Man, you know what? I think that's, I could die a happy man now. Well, you know what? One, maybe one or two more, and that would be it. And I would just go, yeah, hey, I did it. I accomplished what I wanted in life, really. <laughs> what are we Very talking nice. about, Dave? This, so it's, okay, so are this we in the, the third, third century? This is the third, third century. century. And so we got uh-huh. a lot to talk about. Hey, and before I do that, I just want to, we have, I have a retraction from the last episode. Oh man. Are we going to do right. that? We, are we really going to do retractions we, we and have corrections? A retra- well, but you know, the nice thing, the retraction isn't for something historical. I said, it's something I said from the office. I had an incorrect thing that I said about an episode of the office. So we got on uh, Apple Podcasts, we got a five-star review, and this is what it says. This is great. It says, love this. I like this, and I don't even like history. This is so fun to listen to, and I'm learning a lot. But Dave, you're wrong. It wasn't Jim Halpert from The Office who made the two captains comment. It was actually Oscar Martinez who made the comment criticizing that Jim had been made co-manager. Yes, my use of actually was an ode to Oscar. So... Just want to apologize that I got that office quote uh, incorrect, and also thank you for the review. Wow, and nice, yeah. With that, so let's get started with the third century Shiloh. What's going on in China? Well, you know, just to kind of set it straight, let's go with the third century. We're talking the years two hundred and one to the year three hundred. That's the years we're going through right now, right, Davy? That is correct. 201 CE. And actually, I'm going to bleed a little bit into the 300s just to finish up a story. I think I'm going to round it off at 305. Oh, okay. No, that's good. Yeah, so everything we're talking about here, we're we're looking in that, you know, we're going to be talking during the 200s range. So, like you said, what's going on in China? Really exciting things are happening all over the world, but we're starting in China because... We're seeing the end of the Han Dynasty. The Han Dynasty. How important is the Han Dynasty, Dave? Uh, it's really important, and I think just to give give people an idea, like the United States has been a country for like what two hundred years, right? Yeah. Uh, and the Han Dynasty was in charge in China for like was it four hundred years? Yeah, four hundred plus years. And that, we're talking yeah. not just talking about a government. We're talking about a dynasty, like a succession of you know family ruling. That's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. So, so oh yeah. tell well, us about it, Shiloh. One small thing in there. There was a f- little tiny gap in there, you know, where they had uh, someone else that kind of tried to try to throw the Han Dynasty off, but um, they they basically they were able to regain. So we kind of credit them with about a four hundred year stretch. So they're gonna end that Han Dynasty is is basically said to have ended around two hundred and twenty C.E. But before that, I wanted to touch briefly on a battle that happened, the Battle of Red Cliffs. Do you know anything about that one, Dave? I, you know, a little bit. There's a really cool uh, podcast I like called uh, China History Podcast with Laszlo Montgomery, and he talked about that. Uh, I think it was in connection to, uh, there's like this epic book called the, uh, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. It's like huge, but it talks all about the third century and stuff. But it was written like a thousand years later, but it's, it's kind of one of those, it's, a big deal in China. But yeah, tell us about the Battle of the Red Cliffs. Actually, I love that you brought up that um the book The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. It's cuz it's it's a great story. People, there's so many stories out there right now that people on TV that they go, "Wow, this story is all about political maneuvering and back and forth." But 
the the um the romance of the three kingdoms is is amazing story and it's not obviously it's not all uh historically accurate but if you were going to pick out a couple characters from the chinese time there any characters come out to mind that you go oh wow he's an interesting you know person at this time well you know what shiloh i think i i'm gonna let you just go nuts with china because I, I got, you know me in Rome, like I've got two more centuries of the Western Roman Empire and I kind of got sucked down into Rome. So take Rome, us away with the yeah. Han Dynasty giant. I love just, if you're, if you're hearing this and you don't know much about that time frame, you got Cao Cao, you know, and I'm probably not saying that very well, but you know, it's, it doesn't even start with a T or an S, it's spelled with a C-A-O. So, <laughs> you know, so Cao Cao, but he's an interesting <laughs> character at the time. And then you also have Lu Bu. I, I really got into Lu Bu, reading a lot about him. And Lu Bu, and if you if you want to look it up, it's L U B U. If you type that into anything, you're gonna get the character Lu Bu that we're talking about this time. Just a you know phenomenal warrior of this time. But at any rate, the Battle of Red Cliffs that happens around the year 208. And what happens is at this battle, it pretty much ends the possibility of China ever being able to come back together under one leader it kind of cements the fact that they're going to fragment so now the han dynasty is definitely it's pretty much doomed from here on out now it doesn't completely end for a few more years but i guess i wanted to touch a little bit on why the han dynasty is important they were obviously they brought about a time that some call a golden age of china they were able to bring uh, economic stability they were able to bring prosperous conditions to China in general. So it's it's considered a really great time. People talk a lot about the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Well, the Han Dynasty had a, a long period of peaceful relations and, and, and uh, progressing. But some of the things that define Chinese culture comes from this time period too. So, you know, you think about what is culture. We were talking a little bit before the Han people today, there is a Han ethnicity and the Han ethnicity today is the largest ethnic group in the world, which they really track that back all the way to this time of the Han people of China, so the Han dynasty. So, you know, when you think about what ethnicity is, you know, it's talking about similar, you know, language, ancestry, things like that. Like, you know, even in the United States, it's great how they only give you six choices, you know, for ethnicity here in the United <laughs> States. You're, you're just like... Not very broad, but the Han Han ethnic group is the largest ethnic group in the world and in China. Really? Oh, wow. What ethnicity are you, Dave? Uh, Texan. Texan. Yep, <laughs> exactly. They you never know, have that. See, they don't. Well, they, <laughs> well, I. You know what's funny? Like, I don't know. I I didn't tell you about this, but uh, a member of my family recently did one of those DNA tests, and I was super curious because my wife did one, and she had like DNA from every continent, and I was like, wow, what am I? It came back ninety nine percent British. I mean, that's just, that's wow. boring, man. Like, I we uh, I, I guess it's like a straight line from Britain to Texas, and that's it. So, wow, we, that's uh, kind of, that's pretty cool, though. So you're, you're, I don't know what to call that. You're a yeah. uh, Britican. <laughs> <laughs> British, British Texan, Britican, I guess. I don't know. Oh, okay. What to call yeah. you, Dave. So, uh, at any no. rate. Back to China. China basically now it breaks up after the fall of the Han Dynasty. Oh, we were getting into the Battle of Red Cliffs though, real quick. That that's also considered one of the largest naval battles of all time. But people always want to they want to debate on well, what do you consider uh, largest? Was it how many ships? How many people? How many whatever? But it, it's it's a very large naval battle. So this Battle of Red Cliffs in China, it's it's very popular. And so you know when you 
you got to think about this other culture, how many things that are very important to them. But the Han Dynasty, what were some inventions, Dave? I think you had mentioned you were going to talk something about that. I did. I had uh, two inventions that, that were from the Han Dynasty, particularly from the 3rd century. One of them was block printing. You know, we talk about Gutenberg, uh, you know, in Europe, which was much later, but that wasn't uh, block printing. That was movable type, uh, which made it much, much quicker. But back then in China, they invented block printing. So it was like you, you had a piece of wood, you carve something into it, and then you can use it to print on textiles and later on paper. And of course, one of the big things that, that this helped spread was Buddhism. Um, now, another one of the inventions from the third century from China was the wheelbarrow. Now, Shiloh, think about this, okay? The wheelbarrow wasn't invented until the third century. And we talked about last episode, second century, they invented the compass and paper. So think about it. If you're living in the second century and you had a bushel of potatoes you needed to get from point A to point B, you could draw a map on paper how to get there. You could use your compass to find it there, but you wouldn't have a wheelbarrow to get it there. Not until the third century. So this is really like the trifecta. You got a compass, paper, and a wheelbarrow. Yep. You had all three. You could get your potatoes from point A to point B. Hey, Did they uh, have potatoes in China? Um, you know, I'm, Shiloh. You know what? You do, they did not. It was a New World not. invention. It oh was, my goodness. Yes. Wow. We, we, they, some people credit the potato as like the Peruvian potato getting real popular right about this time frame. Well, really? Yeah. It is? You know, I, I didn't know that. Okay. It was lo- long before the Idaho potatoes were so popular. But anyways, really? Um, yeah, so... Hey, while we're... While we're talking about inventions, there's another invention I want to talk about. Actually, no, I'll, I'll save it for Rome. It's a Roman invention. I'll, oh, okay. I'll, I'll let you get back to China if you got some more stuff to say. Well, you know what? No, I just wanted to finish up with how that the Han Dynasty, it ended. So we saw an end to this cultural development, this progression that was going on. You kind of have to ask yourself, what if the Han Dynasty hadn't ended? ended? How? What would have come about? And so, um, you know, you think about just what defines the Chinese art and music and literature things like that even something as simple as like the dragon is a symbol of chinese culture the han dynasty really used that symbol the dragon became very popular it represented the emperor you couldn't even at one point you couldn't even have a dragon on your clothing only the emperor could have a dragon on his clothing so that kind of defines what we think of as chinese culture and what we see today that was already being made part of that culture way back in the Han Dynasty, time of the Han Dynasty. So that's just why they're important and something to think about how it affects all the way stuff we see today. Now, Dave, we're going west. We're yes. Going to, to Rome. To I Rome. You, you are just you're just ready for Rome, Dave. I am so ready for Rome, okay. Shiloh. You okay, say, so Shiloh. You say yes. third century. Third century. Rome. Yes. Rome. Right. What, what comes to mind? Crisis of the third century. Is that and a game? Is that a video game? That sounds like be- some... It would be really cool if it was a video game. Okay, I, well, but, it's not. All right. Okay, okay. so, um, right, before we get into the crisis of the 3rd century, I want to tell you about an invention of the 3rd century from Rome. Okay. And you're knitting, and in particular, oh. socks. It had never been invented before. Socks were invented, particularly knitted socks, in the 3rd century. So, Shiloh, tell me something. So, you're what? telling me, th- wait a minute, you're telling me in China they were making things like wheelbarrows, and the Romans were like, no, we need socks? Well, I mean, think about Shiloh. What kind of shoes did they wear in Rome? Um, yeah, you wore sandals. Right. Nice. So, yeah. Hi- historically, was this the first time somebody ever wore socks with sandals? Wow, that is. And 
you're telling me that this has been around a lot longer than like the 80s? <laughs> did that did that precipitate the crisis of the third century? People wearing socks with sandals. Precipitate, man. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. You know, well, I, it definitely had to be a contributing factor. So the yeah, the crisis of the cent- third century it lasted about 50 years. But I want to before we get into that, I, I'm building anticipation. I want to talk about a story that started before the the crisis of the third century and ends around the end of the crisis, the, the crisis of the third century. And it focuses on one particular subject. And after we, we cover this, we can go back and we'll get the crisis area. But I want to start a question. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question because that would be too easy. But Shiloh, um, if you can think of, can you think of like a child star? So like maybe one now, maybe one... <laughs> You're giving me that eyebrow look. Maybe one from from your youth, like somebody who was famous as like a 14-year-old and then like had like this blaze of glory for a few years and then just fell off the map. Like who's a child star that you could name? And I will judge you based on your answer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm looking for a 14-year-old. I'm going to go with Macaulay Hulk. Macaulay you know what's Culkin funny? Is- I have- I asked Asia the same, and uh, she said the same thing. Macaulay Culkin, okay? Yeah, I don't know uh, how he was, but yeah, he, yeah, that's. I, 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 uh, I was thinking like, like uh, Justin Bieber, not like Justin Bieber now, like a little scruffy, uh, you know, like fourteen-year-old Justin Bieber on YouTube, true. like, yeah. So, true. so what if I were to tell you that Macaulay Culkin, okay, or Justin Bieber, if if you were to go into the future to like the year 3,800, 3,900, and if I told you that they had an impact on millions, if not billions of people that were alive 1,800 years from now, what would you say to that? I would say you are crazy, Dave. I, that doesn't make any sense. It's crazy, all. right? It's crazy, right? But we're going to tell you about a 14-year-old that ha- from the 3rd century that affected many people today and may even affect some listeners of this podcast so this guy his name well it's the name that he named himself because you can do that um elegant when you're a roman emperor you can do it was that, common right? back then that people changed their names all the time you know uh but so this guy elagabalus um his mom maneuvered things so that he became the emp- emperor at 14 years old okay and he was from syria he shows up in rome and he automatically offended everybody, okay? So he shows up, and he's wearing uh, makeup and what was at the time considered kind of effeminate or women's clothing. And he says, okay, Senate, I have an announcement. And they're like, uh, Michael, is that a lady suit? And he's like, no, 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 this is this is definitely a men's suit. I, I, I got it in a bargain bin. People were, like, reaching in there like, no, 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 it's... That's a that's a lady suit. It says mysterious. He's like, yeah, it's mysterious because the buttons are on the wrong side, and it doesn't have pockets. And then Daryl laughed, and it was hilarious. But okay, sorry, that was the office. Wow. But so, anyways, he shows up. He's wearing women's clothing, makeup, and he sometimes refers to himself as the queen. So he right off the bat offends everybody. These you know very conservative Romans, and then he says, I have an announcement. Uh, you guys are polytheistic. You worship many gods, but I, I'm monotheistic. I worship the one true God. Um, you may have heard of him. Um, his birthday is on December 25th, and we're all going to celebrate that now, and it's mandatory, and you can't worship your gods anymore. And this, and, God, this God's from Syria. Right, and so right. You're, you're probably thinking, like, what are you talking about? But he worshiped 
Sol Invictus, or the sun god. Um, now, in Syria, they referred to him as Elagabalus, which is where he got him, his name. He referred to himself by the name because he was, you know, that big a deal. And telling everybody in a multicultural, multinational uh, region that they have to stop worshiping their plethora of gods and just worship the sun god was a huge deal. Um, it made everybody angry. And it might seem, seem kind of weird for a religious leader, and uh, because he was the high priest of, of sun worship, and a political leader to be the same person. But back then, that was really common. Like, for example, the emperor was already the high priest uh, for Jupiter. He was the uh, Pontifex Maximus, the high priest, which is also the name for the pope today. Um, so that wasn't a stretch, but people freaked out. And so uh, sun worship started to take off, um, and people started doing it. They liked uh, the celebrating the birthday on the, the 25th of December. Um, that's also when they did Saturnalia. I was about to say, that's, that's going to so, be related to a, you know, a time that they already have festivals. It wasn't right. The, Saturnalia was not celebrated on the 25th. It was a little it bit was before It was leading that. up to it, yeah. Right, yeah. So it so, kind of starts to add together. Yeah. Good, right, good and point. so uh, people kind of got super mad, but it also introduced sun worship. And so uh, four years later, they gave him a Roman impeachment. And I don't know, do you like that? I, I came up with that. You're just using, you're saying Roman impeachment to mean we strangled him to death. Yeah, they killed him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but that's, but so then everybody goes back to being polytheistic. Everybody's mm -hmm. happy. Uh, side note, his little brother becomes the emperor and actually does kind of a good job for 10 years. But the, the reason he did kind of a good job was because he listened to older advisors. But 50 years pass, you have the crisis period. At the end of it, you have this emperor named Aurelian, which I think you're going to talk about a little bit later. Love Aurelian. Um, and Aurelian, he is the same, like he's really into sun worship. Like people back then, if you're the emperor and you're doing well, you're like, hey, you know, Apollo helped me or Jupiter helped me. He's like, Sol Invictus helped me. And so he really promoted sun worship, but he didn't make it mandatory. And right. so people loved it. And so he he felt like, you know, all these other gods are just aspects of sun worship. And people were okay with that. So he, he still practiced other religions, but he said, hey, it's all in the name of sun worship. And, uh, you know, from that point on, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I think now would even be a good time to say, didn't Aurelian build a, um, uh, basically a, altar um for soul invictus in rome that he you know from the spoils of some of his battles he he was able to dedicate quite I've, a yeah yeah i believe he did and so you might be wondering like well how does this affect us today well they say that um these two emperors introducing monotheism set the stage for christianity to become the roman religion in the fourth century People got used to monotheism, they liked it, um, and also later they morphed a lot of sun worship into Christianity. For right. example, Saturnalia, uh, December 25th uh, uh, being when they uh, had the festival of the unconquered sun, they combined that with Jesus and his birthday, and it's Christmas today. Even some of the, the things that they did, like caroling back then, they still do that for Christmas, although they did it naked and drunk uh, back then, but I mean... Well, in some areas of the United States, they yeah, they I was going to say, I, yeah, I, I think that's still a common tradition. Yeah, yeah. they okay, um, yeah, but so, anyways, yeah. a fourteen-year-old, eighteen hundred years ago, affects millions of people today because of his setting a, a chain of events in place that led to Christmas. 
And I think that's a good one thing I wanted to say about that too was that um, I think Aurelian wanted to kind of create a unifying factor in the Roman Empire, maybe a one faith, one nation kind of idea. But I don't think he had he lived long enough to see it. But I think that some people think you know going with Constantine. I don't think that was a new idea for Constantine. Or it wasn't a new idea. Some people were already thinking of that, you know. So yeah, and it seems like Constantine was trying to do with Christianity what Aurelian was trying to do with Sol Invictus, because he thought, well, you know, we have a big empire. People have different gods, but if everybody just is able to look up at the sun at some point during the day and they're reminded that they can worship the sun god, he thought it would bring everybody together. It also seems like he was a true believer too. Right. And I think like as a little preview for the next episode on uh, the fourth century, I want to really talk about how Constantine also, how he, why he promoted um, Christianity, because like you said, there does seem some kind of aspect that they did really believe in what they were doing. So, yeah, but they, so are we, are we doing the crisis we, now? Is this it? Are we on the crisis? The, the crisis. So let's, Shiloh. Let's just, let's just preface this. There's a lot of different things happening during the crisis of the third century in the, in the uh, Western world. You know, right now when all this is going on, China's already broken off into different sections, but we're going to throw in little random things here and there. You know, I'm, I think I'm going to talk for a quick minute about um, a, a Bible translation in a, in a city called Dura Europa, but Generally, oh, wow. this, this is all going on during the crisis of the third century. Lots of little things, people here and there, whatever. But what was it, Dave? What was the crisis? Oh, man. So, Shiloh, I, I didn't give you a heads up I was going to ask you this question, but I'm going to do it anyways. Do you um, ever give if, me a heads up on any of the questions? Uh, okay. So, yeah. um, Shiloh, if you could think of a crisis uh, period of, like, a modern country, like, if, if you were to say, okay, this was a crisis period of the United States— uh-huh. Or maybe another modern country. Like, what's a crisis that you would name? A crisis. Uh, well, I mean, like, if you're just gonna look at like the United States, I'm. I would say a major crisis was, you know, the North and the South Civil War in the United States. That was yeah. a crisis. Could have torn the whole United States apart. Well, it yeah, did, that's... but it could have ruined the whole, you know, arrangement. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great example. So, like, that could be a crisis period. Uh, I think another crisis period might be a presidential assassination. Like yeah. Lincoln or JFK, mm-hmm. um, you could even do uh, the coronavirus right now. Right, you yeah, might yeah. view that as a crisis period. I always think um, for some I th- reason I I think a lot of uh, what happened in U- Yugoslavia and all those countries that broke apart because of financial problems. There was just sometimes yeah. it was like there's not even it's not even worth having a country anymore. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like another one, inflation. Like I think of, mm-hmm. uh, like in uh, Germany after World War One, where you had to have like a wheelbarrow full of money just to buy like a loaf of bread like runaway inflation that could be a crisis period um i think of maybe an invading army like uh the war of 1812 british troops on american soil uh that could be a crisis period or it could even just be like a little raid across the border like when pancho villa uh raided texas or that little border town and then all the federales say they could have had him any day but they only let it go so long out of kindness i suppose Thank yeah. you, Willie Nelson. Uh, yeah, thanks. Awesome thanks, song. Willie. Awesome song. I can't wait till we get to uh, when we can talk about Pancho Villa. He's a really interesting character. But so, yeah, okay. Only, only, you know, 17 more episodes. Yeah, but so, so Shiloh, what if all of those things happened in the United States at the same time? That civil just... War. Yeah, like Civil War, assassination, plague, 
invading armies, uh, little invading raids. Like, if it happened at the inflation, same time... Inflation, money yeah, just gone out inflation. of control. Inflation. And now imagine that that happens every two to five years for the next that 50 sounds, years. That sounds like... I, I can't imagine any um, body or any kind of government withstanding that. Yeah, and so that was the crisis of the third century. That was Rome. And I like what Mike Duncan, the history of Rome... Uh, like, we, we're both big Mike Duncan fans. I went back and listened to his his podcast for the third century uh, as part of my preparation for this episode. If, if, if you ever have, like, 250 hours to listen to something... It's an amazing podcast. He goes through like 1,400 years of Roman history. And if you have a job where you don't have to think or a commute, it's great. Um, but he said, you know, a lot of people ask why the, the Western Roman Empire fell, you know, in the late 5th century. But really what they should be asking is why didn't it fall in the 3rd century? Because, like, if you could imagine if all those things happened now, like, it would break any country apart. But they somehow survived. So... We're going to go through some of these things uh, and, like, why it happened. And it's interesting. If you just pick, like, you don't have to give names and dates because the same thing happened almost in a cycle. Um, and so just basically civil war. Uh, they had civil war over and over again as well as imperial assassination. So what would often happen is how many? You would, do you remember how many uh, emperors came and you had, went? In yeah, this time you period? you had twenty in fifty years. So on average, yeah. every emperor lasted about two and a half years. So, like to give you an idea, Charlotte, I was thinking about it since the year two thousand. Yeah, we've we've had three presidents in the last twenty years. We had uh, George W. Bush, Barack mm -hmm. Obama, and then uh, two years uh, Donald Trump. It would be kind of like in those twenty years if we'd had like nine or ten presidents. And every single one of them had been assassinated, and so wow, just and then wars little civil and, wars, yeah, lots. They had, I mean, they always had civil wars in Rome. It was ridiculous. Was, wow. Um. So, anyways, um, you know, you have an invading army from the east, for example, like the Parthians. Uh, and I believe at, at this point, if you're wondering who the Parthians are, it's the former Persians. Uh, the area that was Persia, it became Parthia, and then later the Sassanids. So, I'm, so am, are we going to go into them right now? Uh, you want to talk about the Parthians and the Sassanids? You, what are you, you going to you talk about? You know, if, if, you, if you have something to say, yeah, go for it. What do you want to say I about just, the Parthians? I just really want to make a quick point on Persia because right during the crisis of the third century, while this is all building up and a little bit before it happens, you know, you're talking like, um, when can you give us a day of when the crisis of the third century, can you give us, a, I'm sorry, a year when it starts pretty much? Um, oh man, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. No, no. Um, oh wait, I'm... you know, it's funny. Actually. Yeah. According to this, um, I think it was 235 to 284. Yeah. That's what I got too. Cause it starts with a political assassination, you know? That's, oh yeah. I have a, or... I have a really interesting factoid here. Do you want to know it? Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, one of the notes I put down there. So from the, in those 50 years, you had 20 emperors. Okay. The, the preceding 250 years. They had twenty six emperors. So for 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 two hundred fifty years, they had twenty six emperors, and then for those fifty years, they had twenty. That's some so, political unrest. Yeah, right not there. a good time. To, they had a year of the six emperors during that. I'm sorry. Go, so Parthia, yeah. tell us about Parthia, Shah. Well, in if we're looking at two thirty five, 
so we look at uh you know what's going on as, as time progressed we're kind of looking at this chronologically you know china's got their whole thing their their han dynasty ends in 220 it's not much 15 years later the crisis of rome really hits them but meanwhile while that's building up persia is starting to change and we say persia but that today that's just we're saying iran and it's actually mm. in the third century when the first time that that term gets used by the, really uh, the sasanids actually start to use that word iran as they're to refer to their area there that they they're living in modern day iran so it is the parthians first but the parthians they were you know persian but they kind of imitated the greek style of ruling because the 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 um so, the Seleucid Empire was over there. Remember that one of the one of Alexander the Great's generals. So they um they uh basically Parthians are kind of you know imitating the rule of the Greeks, but the the Sassanids that come in the next Persians they are totally trying to imitate the Achaemenid Empire, Cyrus the Great type of empire. So they are a huge thorn in the side of Rome that caused just just totally messes up Rome and their. There, everything that's going on over there. So that's just something that's kind of happening at the same time as this crisis. Yeah, and so they said that a lot of times what would happen is you had this cycle where, for example, Parthia would invade. And so they're coming in from the east. And so the little army, you know, that would be there on the border would fight them. And so one of a couple things would happen. Uh, one, they would succeed. And if they succeeded without the emperor's help, you know, a lot of times what would happen is the army would be like, hey, our general is great. Let's make him the emperor. So they would declare him the emperor. Then you'd have civil war. Um, another thing that might happen is they would lose, and then you've got Parthians in the empire, which is bad. Um, a lot of times what would happen back then is the emperor would have the biggest army, and the reason they they would want that is because when civil war inevitably broke out— he would want to be able to beat the other armies. So he was kind of just going around the place, whoever was the emperor, fighting the battles because all the other armies were small. So if he went and helped them, that would be great. But if he went and helped you know, them in Parthia, you would have somebody like the Goths come down out of Europe and attack somewhere else. Right. And so no matter what happened, you'd either have civil war or you would have a losing battle with an invading army. And Shiloh, right, I think yeah. you had something to say about Wait, the Goths, right? Now, when I well, think of yeah. Goths, what like I think of those kids in high school that scared me. You know, those Gothic kids with the big pants and the the white makeup and the black shirts. Is that who we're talking about here? Well, yeah. I mean, is that what is that who invaded the Roman Empire? It was a bunch of kids with uh, you know black painted with uh, big chains and, around their yeah, and chain chain wallets and. And they were listening to heavy metal, right? They came into the Roman Empire and they were just thrash, right? One hundred percent of what you said is absolutely true, Shiloh. Actually, right. no, no, that's so not true. <laughs> I did want to take a I did want to take a quick minute to talk about the Goths because okay. they they're a major player. So we talked about the Parthians causing problems. Eventually, the Parthians fall, and then the uh, the Sassanids, they you know as the new Persian Empire, they cause problems. Well, now we got the Goths coming in too. So this is the time when the word Goth starts to be used, as in the third century. So they probably came in right after the, you know, pretty much it, they come in right as we give the date or the year for the crisis of the third century starting. So they're coming in around 238, you know. But um, when you hear goth today, you kind of think of all those things we just said. But really, they were, they were a Germanic people, tribe that came down and just 
was looking to find a, a place to live. They weren't necessarily horrible people. They looked at the Roman Empire and looked at a place that they thought they could take advantage of, do some raiding. They were, they were great because they could raid on land and they could raid on the water. They were like, you know, Vikings and and land raiders too. So they were pretty quite a, quite an enemy of Rome. But the one thing that's interesting about the Goths is that they were being pushed from where they lived by somebody else. Who was pushing them, Dave? Oh man, I we're uh, not even we're not is even it, gonna is it the is it the Germani or is it further further north? We're not even gonna talk about <gasps> oh, these people yet. No, we're not gonna talk the about Huns. them yet. The Huns, the Huns, the, the steps people. Push, the the and, Huns were pushing them, but the Huns don't make their appearance yet. So basically, yeah. the crisis of the third century is is this feeling of there's these Goths invading. They're starting to pillage and raid, but really the real problem is yet to come. When the Huns enter the Roman Empire, it is just, it's a disaster. Yeah. But right now they're suffering because the Goths are, um, you know, they're, they're coming in trying to find land. They're, they're basically looking for a place to live because they're getting pushed out of where they live. So yeah. real quick though, when you hear the word Goth, a lot of times you, we, those things come to mind. And so I got a couple quick facts. Okay. They think that the they think that the gothic, the idea that we think of when we think of gothic music today came from your homeland in uh, the the area of uh, New England or in of of England, Britain. Oh, the old country. The old country. Yeah, <laughs> you know that. So that's probably part of your ethnicity. Is you're probably you know. I don't think you, know. you can call British an ethnicity, Shiloh. <laughs> like I don't think that's okay. I'm not going to do that. I'm. <laughs> so so they think that it was a term that they applied to music. You know, in uh, you know, with kind of that uh, rebellious music that was coming out during the eighties. Nice know, job changing. Nice job changing the subject. I like how you didn't even acknowledge that. Let's yeah, you know okay. what? Gothic we're music. Just, we're just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> gothic music. But it's been around. The idea's been around. But it's funny how they use the word gothic. You know, a long time ago. You're talking like twelfth, thirteenth centuries. Uh, that just basically was to refer to barbarous German style. So when someone yeah. talks about Gothic cathedrals or Gothic stuff, that was kind of a, in a way, a negative way to refer to architecture. Or it's a, oh, it's that German, that Gothic oh, barbarous wow. German style. So you know, you think of um, something like uh, the architecture or the um, different different things associated with what we think of, um, you know, the Gothic style. That's that was supposed to be a negative term, you know. Oh wow! And you might you might think of that as someone even didn't don't we know negative terms like Cretan is a negative term yeah. to refer to someone, even or uh, or Scythian or Scythian however you want to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, or uh, the Vandals too. Exactly. Even, and the funny thing about the Vandals is the Romans vandalized the Vandals. They were yeah. the ones that like pillaged the Vandals, but you know we call a Vandal somebody who does that to somebody else. So it's kind somebody of that does it. yeah. So you kind of. You see in the Western culture, you know, you get all these barbarous people and they're the negative thing, all oh, this gothic thing or this vandal. And so it's it's a negative term. But nowadays we don't really quite think of it like how it was originally used. So yeah, something interesting about the goths. But tell me more. What else is going on besides? Them? Yeah. So it, anyways, it was like this weird chain of events. So you have these the plague uh, the from the, the second century that we mentioned keeps popping up. Um, you have. Uh, just emperor after emperor getting assassinated, and it just, it seemed like everybody, you had armies bouncing around Rome, just trying to to fight off 
invading armies. And if if they weren't fighting off invading armies, they were having civil wars. And it just seemed like no matter what happened, it was always assassination and civil war. They always had civil war. Wow. So, you know, that that kind of makes me think of, you know, we're looking at Rome and we're looking at China. Yeah. And one thing that I've kind of noticed when I'm doing my research on Rome is that the the whole reason the, the crisis of the third century is so important is that this, if Rome would have fell at this time, it would have really ended the progression of Western culture. It would have halted that Western culture's progression. Like what we think about what, what uh, the influence of Rome on the Western culture is like language or even like laws today, you know, the legal system, we still use Latin, you know, when we're talking about that. So Rome was kind of the place. It had everything everybody wanted, you know, it was, it was like, it was the one-stop shop for all things Western culture. And yet China was just making everything that everybody wanted, you know, they were just producing. So at this point, I'm going to say in the third century, we have now seen Rome is the first incarnation of walmart wait a second rome is walmart rome is walmart if you're listening to this podcast casually and not paying attention to all the things we've said which is how we recommend listening to it then (laughs) then hopefully that just got you right now and you said wait a minute rome is what what is it dave wait what so wait rome is the walmart of the third century it is, yes. Wait, does they, that mean... They're that selling who's... really good Chinese products. Everybody wants to go to Rome to get them. And yeah, so, I mean, like Walmart's, like Walmart's uh, you know, what's their slogan or whatever they have? It's, it's always, always low, low, prices? low prices. Always. Rome's was always civil war. Always. You know, <laughs> you know, and there's been, you know, it's funny too, like they didn't have uh, toilet paper in, uh, in Rome. That, and, see, that reminds I mean, me of Walmart did, right there. I know, right? And there's been times when I've been in Walmart where, like, there's always a small chance that uh, someone's going to kill you in single combat, you know? Yeah, just like, exactly. Just like Rome. Got it. Well, so, so does that mean that Sam Walden is Julius Caesar, or is he like Marius or, uh, you know, R- Romulus? Like, who, you know, that's... You know what? Just like I had to change subjects, I think we're going to have to... We're gonna have Wait, to is Attila the Hun it. Amazon? Are the Huns no. Amazon? Are they just, like, coming down from the hills and their horses and their bows and arrows? And, oh, my goodness. Okay, are we... Oh, hey, you know what I didn't get a chance to talk about is uh, inflation, everybody's favorite topic. So... <laughs> You know, I was just asked the other day by a, a, a young man that said, hey, uh, we're getting stimulus checks. Can they just keep printing those for us? I know. Well, so that's ba- – <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like with the stimulus checks, I was thinking about that because like in Rome. Okay, so what happens – what's the age-old – one of the problems that they had back then was, you know, civil war. And one way you prevent civil war is by paying your soldiers because in all of history what happens if you don't pay the army uh they come and take it out of you they come and get you yeah they they're revolt. like we got swords we got to kill someone it might as yeah. well be you so exactly. the problem was though if you're in rome and your mint is in rome you don't have venmo you don't have checks uh you don't have paper money you don't have like a central bank where you can just like put the money there you have to print money and then you have to ship it to the far reaches of the empire to pay your soldiers. So what happens if it gets robbed on the way? Or what happens if it quote unquote gets lost 
along the way. Well, you got angry soldiers, they revolt, you know, and then they give you a Roman impeachment, uh, which is assassination. So what Gallienus did, he came up with this plan. He's like, well, hey, why don't we just put mints near the major Roman garrison? So he put uh, mints at four different areas of the empire. Now, as we know today, if you keep printing money, it's not good. It, it's interesting. We understand this. For example, in World War II, uh, the Nazis had a thing called Operation Bernhard, and they tried to counterfeit uh, British money, and they succeeded. Uh, they didn't uh, go through with the plan. It, it kind of got sidetracked, but the plan was rather than you know dropping bombs, let's drop a bunch of fake British money on Britain because they understood that if you flood the system with a bunch of currency, uh, the laws of supply and demand... Uh, apply to money too you know if you have a ton of bread bread becomes cheaper if you have a ton of cash it becomes worth less and so they had a problem because they just kept printing more and more money because they had four uh, more mints and not only that they were debasing the money too so what does that the, mean Dave? Uh, yeah. deba- it, it, it was debased it was horrible so that's when that's when the yeah. de- debased you know it's yeah so um what it meant was in the first century sorry i tried to make a joke uh which is <laughs> I, I, I was listening I, i'm like are you gonna go with it's when the music gets really really vulgar no it's when they're listening to that gothic debased it's music de- so debased gothic music <laughs> yes so what it means is like in the first century you have uh, like the denarius, right? If you're a day laborer in the first century, you get paid a denarius at the end of the day. That's your wage. It was a coin that was 99% silver. Now, in the third century, uh, it has slowly gone down to 1.5% silver because if you are Shiloh the uh, mentor, mint, is, do you call someone that runs a mint a mentor? Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a technical that's term. That's definitely yes. it. We, we put it on the it. internet. It is now mm. true. Uh, so, you know, it's like, hey, you know, you can just put less silver in your coins and, hey, you got some free silver. Um, but, uh, you know, for various reasons, they were debasing the money. So it was worth less. So debased money, more money, and they had rapid inflation. And so it was causing all kinds of problems. And we're going to get uh, a little bit later into the solution for those problems. But that's basically the crisis of the third century. Uh Inflation, you've got civil wars, you've got assassination after assassination, you've got invading armies, and they came out of it. And we're going to get into how they came out of it in a minute, but I think towards the tail end of it, you have Aurelian. And Shiloh, did you want to share a few things about Aurelian? Yeah, I like Aurelian because he, you know, he basically was able to take this horrible situation the Roman Empire was in and turn it around. He even has a name. What was his name, Dave? The, his, uh, the the Roman name they gave him for being able to bring the empire back together. You know, I know the answer to this, Shiloh. Um, I definitely 100% know the answer to this, but why don't you tell us what it is? Well, <laughs> I, I believe it was uh, Restitutor or- Orbitus, right? Am oh, I that's that right? right. The Restorer of the Earth, right? Yeah, Restitutor Orbitus. I don't have it written in my notes, but yeah. I mean, you know... That's that, quite the nickname. It is, yeah. The Restorer of the World. And the reason that they're saying this, and we didn't really quite mention this in our talk about too much in the crisis of the third century but rome broke into three different sections you had the gallic empire um 
we're talking like you know France, England area, uh, for a little bit of time. Spain joined with them, Hispania, but basically, you had the Gallic Empire, you had the central Italian section um, empire, and then you had the Palmyran Empire, and that's where we're going to pick up right here. So the the Roman world is divided up into three sections right now, and Aurelian is able to bring them all back together, unite them again. And that's where he gets that name, Restitutor Orbitus. And then you get, at the same time, a really interesting fight breaks out between Aurelian and, you know, not a lot of times in our podcast do we really focus on uh, a strong female character. But that's right. Here, we're talking about Zenobia. Lucy Wallace. To, I, wow, good one. <laughs> I like that. I was trying to think of my favorite things in the world that start with the letter Z. Can you think of anything in the world that starts with the letter Z that you love, Dave? Um, Didn't you say oh, you're a big fan of Zima? Z. Oh wait, are we talking about Zena Warrior Princess? No, Zima. that was Luz- Zima. No, what is Zima? And I'm not a fan of Zena Warrior Princess. I just want to throw that out there. I um, thought that I thought that Zima I, started with a Z until I was. Wait, Zima? Know, do you mean that like that? Like beer ads from the '90s or what? What is Zima? I've heard that there's no better way to offend a man for being a man than to say he drinks Zima. So next time, if you're listening to this podcast, not only are you getting really good history, you just learned a way to really uh, make a man feel small. You know, yeah. you drink Zima, right? Yeah. Isn't that? Yeah. So well, I think the, uh, they have uh, cup holders for Zima in, uh, in your Prius, right? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I got rid of the Prius. So anyways, Zenobia, Zenobia. She's definitely on my list of favorite things right. to start with the letter Z. So Zenobia, she's over in Syria. And this gives us a quick chance to talk about the importance of Syria. Right now, Syria is in the news. You know, or it's, it's pretty much always in the news. But Syria has always been in the news from the beginning of time. Syria has been a hot spot, an important part of world history. You know, you're talking like Damascus, one of the oldest cities in the world. So, you know, Persia. I think people forget that places like Iran, Persia, uh, and and uh, Syria and China, these are civilizations or these are cultures that have been around for literally thousands and thousands of years. So Syria, the city Palmyra sits inside Syria and, you know, through a series of events, a queen, Zenobia, becomes the main figure, the leader and, for this. Yeah. And that was her husband, Odonathus, uh, uh, Odonathus, yeah. he yeah. died. And he was right. like a pretty big, he was pretty important to the romans so he and died he had been helping, and then right she's like he had hey, been helping the romans yeah yeah and so she's like hey guess who's in charge now she's in charge and so she kind of sees what's going on the crisis of the third century and says hey this is my chance to to make something you know to basically take advantage of the situation she goes down and captures egypt and we haven't talked about this a lot why is egypt so important to rome well it was the breadbasket of rome that's where they got all of their wheat and so right. like if you don't have egypt rome starves Right, and so you even think about again another civilization, Egypt. Been there for cent- I mean, just thousands yeah. of years. The, the pyramids were like two thousand years old then. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about just these cultures and these civilizations that have Actually, been around for. They may have been older. I'm not sure. They were old. You know what? They were they were pretty darn old. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. you know, she sees this as an opportunity to take advantage of Rome because they're weak. She takes Egypt, and that is when. Aurelian realizes, like, I need to take decisive action. Priority number one is to go 
you know, take care of Zenobia. So this they this they even a, compared her to Cleopatra. They're like she's going to be another Cleopatra. She's coming out oh, of yeah. Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Excellent. And you know, basically, he's able to deal with that situation there excellently. He's he's very um, merciful with the cities that have revolted and joined this Palmyran Empire. So basically, you know, she's Aurelian's able to you know solve this problem. Get uh, get these. Syrian, this whole Syrian province that had revolted back into the Roman fold. And, you know, they don't kill Zenobia. They bring her back to Rome. It's kind of not exactly clear what happens to her, but, you know, I've heard that she was even able to basically retire and, you know, live out her time in Rome. But I've also heard some other stories that weren't as nice as that. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, this, this, we going back to Aurelian and what he did, he kind of had that idea of, of uniting the empire with religion too. So we talked about that earlier. So you got to give Aurelian a lot of credit for the things he enacted. How long did he rule for Dave? I want to say it was like 10 years, right? Like it was kind of, it wasn't even that long, was it? Yeah, long? No, it was, I want to say it was only five, but actually That's I, right. I'm, I'm pretty sure okay. it was just five. Yeah. So basically you're looking at a guy here that had five years to rule. He unites the Roman empire, he brings him out of the crisis. He even wants to unite him further by, by bringing them together religiously, and then what happens to him? Did oh, you know what? Well, it's the it same was, thing. It was kind of a it was a it was a fluke thing, right? With his yeah, uh, um, yeah. So basically, uh, one of his secretaries, uh, kind of is mad at him, and so he goes to the other generals, and he's like, uh, he back then uh, a lot of times they had a thing called a proscription list not a prescription a proscription list it was a list of people that were going to be killed you did not want your name on the list so he made a fake prescription list with all the top generals names on it and he took it to them and he's like hey look what i just found it's a prescription list you're on it what are you going to do about it and they're like hey let's you know give him a roman impeachment they killed him and it was all because the secretary was mad at him and so that's what happened to uh you know, Aurelian. Right. So he gets, his reign is cut very short, but you got to give him a lot of the credit for being able to bring Rome out of the crisis of the third century. And really? just a quick Did... little, what's that? Oh, sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Go on. I was, no. um, cause I, well, yeah, you do your thing. No, I just want to say one of the little cool thing I like about him is that, uh, his, you know, the town or the city, I should say of Orleans, uh, even new Orleans or Orleans in, um, France is named after Aurelian. So I really, cool. yeah. I did not know that. I, huh. I love, uh, I love um, that word. Orleans. I'm not even saying it right. I'm sure. You know, real quick, this one is going to be. This will be our longest episode so far. But really quick, uh, at the same time as Aurelian, but before Diocletian, you have um, some work. Oh well, actually, I I really just wanted to focus on a little little city of Dura Europa. Um, I believe we're talking in the. Um, sometime around 258 maybe so right around the middle of the third century we're looking at this city of Duaropa and it's it basically gets attacked and um by the by the Parthians and the Romans are there and they they realize that this is they're going to lose so they just start filling in all the houses with dirt basically trying to build themselves in a little um basically a little fortress out of this city that that they know they're going to lose this battle in this city of Dura Europa. So they start filling in all the houses with dirt to basically make a kind of like some some walls, a, a fortress to protect them from this these 
Parthians that are coming. But what Dura Europa becomes is basically a time capsule. It's like a really? city buried oh, wow. buried in the ground, and it goes and sets for a really long time. A lot of things are just perfectly preserved. And the reason I'm bringing this up is is because you can now go to like, for example, the um the museum at Yale University, and you can see a lot of these these different artifacts that they've pulled out. And one of the biggest, um, you know, one of the most um, interesting things there is the the only or the earliest existing um, Christian meeting place. And really? It has paintings. And it's fun right now, you know, especially if you have to stay home more than normal, you can go online, you can look up the Dura Europa House on Yale University's website and at their, for their museum site. And you can see some of the first paintings of Jesus of all time. Uh, see what that, that um, building was like, the Christian place where they met. And then also you can see maybe some pictures of shields, Roman shields that were preserved. You know, they were just thrown into houses, filled in with dirt and basically trying these Roman armies trying or this Roman army trying to protect itself. Interesting stuff to look at, though. But this was all going on before what we talked about there with Diocletian. I meant to throw him in, to throw this in earlier, but interesting stuff to see, you know, what was going on in different parts of the world. This is obviously this is in the area of Syria that we're talking about. What's okay. going on here. So. Yeah. And but, Oh, yeah, and, and this time period, too, is where if you see art of Jesus in that time period, he has a halo. And the reason for that was because people were already starting to incorporate sun worship with Christianity. And if you look at the sun god, uh, Sol Invictus, or Elagabalus, um, he has a halo with beams emanating from his head. And so they were combining that with Christianity, and that's why they were giving Jesus a halo, or beams shining from his head in artwork from that time period. You got it, yeah. Some really, really interesting stuff was starting to develop as far as, yeah, what was starting oh. to influence Christianity. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, so uh, is it okay if I move on to the multiple choice question of the day? Yes, sir. Okay, so Shiloh, here's what I got for you. Multiple choice, question of the day, question of the episode. So uh, this one kind of covers multiple episodes, but if you've ever seen like a movie about Rome, uh, or like pictures from Rome, you see four letters on everything. Uh, they're all over the place. Like if you just go like watch a clip from that time period, like a, a movie, you'll see SPQR on everything. It's kind of like when you see USA on everything today. So SPQR, what does it stand for? I the don't Senate? remember. Oh, well, here, I'll give you no. your options, okay? Okay. Speaker. Okay, that's option okay. A. Okay. The Senate and the Roman Republic, the Senate and the people of Rome, or the Senate. Man, I don't know. this. I, I can't remember. I thought it had something to do with the people. I'm going to go with Senate and the people. Then I Senate and the people. Okay, you know what? It's the Senate and the people of Rome. You're right. Senatus uh, populus que Romanos. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because... Like, it's, it had been on everything from the days of the Republic because the Senate was such a big deal. But even, like, after they become an empire and yeah. the Senate is still around but they don't really, like, mean anything, it's still kind of a big deal. It's on everything. So, yeah, right. that was my uh, Senate and the people of Rome. And, Shiloh, would you like to know our fake sponsor of the day? Yeah, what, who's sponsoring uh, us? Did you have a sponsor or did I have the sponsor? No, I, I think uh, you had. They had contacted you and asked. You oh, to that's right. Through. Well, yeah. this episode is brought to you by Socks with Sandals. 
Do you like to wear sandals but find that your feet are always getting cold? Do you like to wear socks but hate the confined feeling of shoes? Did you stop caring what other people thought about you a long time ago? Why not try socks with sandals? That you know, what, I'm I'm really proud that they were able to sponsor us this week, and I'm really happy. Just answer me this, Dave: Have you ever worn socks with sandals? You know, I I I, I don't remember if I ever have, but I'll tell you that I have not since being married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. That's what. Well, that's Dave. Well, this has been a fun episode, Shiloh. This has I, been our longest one because there's just a lot going on, man. Too many fun things to talk about, right? Yeah, so I guess we'll sign off. So I'm David. And I'm Shiloh. And we are signing off. So when you were listening to this episode, you may have noticed the massive Diocletian-sized hole towards the end of this episode. Uh, When we recorded this episode, it was pretty long. Uh, So what we decided to do was to cut it into two episodes. The second half is already recorded, and I'll have it ready in a few days, and it will cover Diocletian, the Tetrarchy, paying taxes without money, and how Diocletian basically created the Byzantine Empire and the next thousand years of feudal Europe, along with trying to destroy Christianity. So instead of having one really, really long episode, you'll have two full-sized episodes. Also just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Will Bond down in Mexico City, who sent in the music that we used for our fake sponsor, Also, thanks to the Red Mills Band for the intro and outro music and to Devin Stokes down in Cuernavaca for some helpful recording tips.